Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we approach your word this morning, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth, Lord, as we continue to study Romans. I pray, Lord, that we'd embrace it and we would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 as we continue our study of the 12th chapter. And before we begin, let me remind you that chapter 12 is a directive on how we all should behave ourselves as Christians. How we should act among not only other believers, but also the rest of society. So our focal passage is going to be on the 19th and 20th verse. But what I want to do is read 17 through 20 to give it context. So in your Bibles, Romans 12, starting in verse 17, Paul wrote, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing... You will heap coals of fire on his head. We've already covered verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. And you might think that Paul is repeating himself in verses 19 and 20. But in 19 and 20, Paul goes a step further than repay no one evil for evil. So verse 17, it's don't retaliate, don't avenge, it's a prohibition. And while verse 19 starts out with a negative, don't act in vengeance. Verse 20 goes further, it's a positive on what the Christian should do, and that is, is act in love. And when we really look at these verses and we think about applying them in our own lives, that's when it really gets tough, doesn't it? And we're not talking about someone that you've just had a minor disagreement with. You know, we've all had those where we've hit a rough patch with interacting with someone. What we're talking about here is for the people that have truly wronged us. In other words, our enemies. And I would imagine that if I were to sit here and say, name your enemy or enemies, you have people that would go ahead and pop up in your head. People that you truly regard as your enemy. And it reminds me of what David wrote in Psalm 41 about his enemies. In Psalm 41, starting in verse 4, 
David said, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die in his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. We've all been there, haven't we? As we have dealt with enemies. We can all relate. So Paul in 19 and 20, is telling us how we should deal with these specific people, our enemies. Verse 19, again, it reads, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We're told not to avenge. And as I said earlier, this is extremely difficult, and it's extremely difficult if you try to do this in your own flesh. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to do a biblical survey, if you will, on some verses that I believe are very important to help you live out this command of not avenging. And what we're really looking at as we go through this list of verses, we are looking at the Christian worldview. Because if you don't have a Christian view, it will be impossible for you to live out verse 19. And first of all, let me say this. You have to realize that God is the judge. God is the judge. He's not a judge, he's the judge. And in order for me to rest in God, I have to realize that he will judge. And in fact, Psalm 711 says, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, we live in a world that seems to be quite comfortable with wickedness. And sometimes we can be in despair as we survey society in our culture. And it tends to lead us to want to do things in our own strength and effort. But God recognizes the wicked every day. He recognizes the wickedness of man every single day. And in order for me to rest in the power of God, in order for me to rest in this verse 19 where the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. I have to remind myself that God, one of His jobs is to be the judge. 
and he's a just judge. Not only is God a judge, but second of all, God will dispense his wrath. God will dispense his wrath. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. It says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. How can I keep from taking matters into my own hands in trying to get my own justice? It's to realize that God is not only a judge, but he will dispense his wrath. No one gets away with anything. No one gets away with anything. He is a just judge. He has an anger against unrighteousness. He recognizes when you encounter evil And there will be a day of wrath. You can rest in that. You can understand that there will be a, in accounting terms, a true up, if you will. If you're not familiar with that, if there's something going on in the books and you end up having a true up, you equal the balance. That's why when you go to courthouses and you look up, there's a statue of a woman holding a scale, right? There's a dispensation of justice. And God is a just judge, and he is aware of the wickedness, and he will one day dispense his wrath. And he will do so perfectly and completely. Revelation 20.12 tells us this. Revelation 20:12 it reads and I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books One day my friend at the end of time there's a great accounting And if your name's not written in the book of life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, all unsaved people will stand before a righteous and holy God and there will be a dispensation of justice. I think one of the biggest mistruths, if you will, is when people started preaching heaven and hell as pass-fail. You're in heaven and there's no rewards. Or you're in hell and there's equal punishment. Kind of this communistic view, if you will, of heaven and hell. Scripturally, that's the furthest thing from the truth. In heaven, there's rewards. Bible clearly teaches that. And in hell... There are different degrees of punishment. 
according to what has been written in the books. So as God opens the books, as we read here in Revelation, there's nothing missed. There's nothing missed. In other words, nobody gets away with anything. Just as your blood covering, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, just as the blood covering covers you for all sins, the justice of God is dispensed upon all those who don't believe. Now, if I recognize that, if I recognize that one day there will be a great judgment, then I'm not so worried about going out and avenging myself when I have been wronged by my enemy. There will be a payment. There will be a payment. Now, you may say, well, what happens to that person if they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ before they die? Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it. All sins have been paid for either through the blood of Christ or when the lost person appears before a holy and righteous God and his justice is dispensed. If you're a believer, Jesus paid the wrath. It was put upon him. And we have enjoyed the mercy and forgiveness and grace of God. For the unbeliever... They're judged according to their works, and nothing is missed. Which leads me to my next point. You have to realize that God is in complete control. Now, it doesn't look like it, right, at this point in time. God doesn't look like he is in control. In fact, Kathy, my wife, was telling me about a podcast she was listening to, and it mentioned that post-COVID, the population or attendance of churches have dropped considerably. People just stopped going. We're not talking about a few percentage points. It is a problem. It is a serious problem. And as we turn on the TV or the computer or listen to the radio and we look at all of the mayhem that is going on in society right now, God does not look like He's in control. But He is. But He is. And if you and I suffer due to an enemy We have to realize that that has happened because God has allowed it. And in fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, hear the words of Jesus. It says, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? 
but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Let me read that one sentence again in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? He's in control. He's in control. And when you and I are going through a trial and a tribulation and we are encountering an enemy, we've got to recognize that the Lord is in control. When we look at our society that is absolutely falling apart, we have to recognize that God is in control. That he uses all things. And in fact, we quote that all the time, don't we? Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He uses all things. And if we recognize as we interact with society, as we interact with enemies, if we recognize the fact that God is in charge, He's in control, He's on His throne, He's a just judge, and He is dispensing His judgment, we can stop from trying to avenge ourselves. I think the psalmist said it best in the 37th Psalm, Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, They shall inherit the earth. I don't know about you, but I need to read that psalm quite frequently. Because I love to fret. Fretting is a pastime for me. And in fact, if I run out of things to fret about, just call me, I'll fret for you. But what fretting does is it is telling other people that you are not resting in the power of God. We're supposed to be at rest, aren't we? We're supposed to be at rest. We've been forgiven. We've been given eternal life. We're a child of God. We know that we're going to spend an eternal presence in front of a holy and righteous God where there's no sin, there's no crime, there's no societal upheaval, we're at peace, we're in the presence of God, why do I fret? Because we're to be at peace. And just as the psalmist says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. So Paul tells us in verse 19, don't avenge. Rest. Rest. That's the negative. In other words, don't. Don't avenge. Now we get to verse 20, which is the positive. Look at verse 20 again of Romans 12. 
Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. I think this is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in all of the Bible. And I'm fixing to tell you what a lot of people think about this verse. And and I'm sure that you can recognize that you've either been taught this the wrong way or you've heard somebody teach it the wrong way. Let me read it again. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. This is the misapplied teaching. If I am nice to my enemies, they're going to get theirs. Right? If I'm nice to my enemy, they're going to get theirs. It's not what this verse means. First of all, it's a direct quote from Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. But there's a symbolic teaching in here that we don't have in our modern way of life. But once you know what this is referring to, all of a sudden the meaning changes drastically. So let me read you what John MacArthur said in his commentary. The heaping of coals refers to an ancient Egyptian custom in which a person who wanted to show public contrition carried a pan of burning coals on his head. The coals represented the burning pain of shame and guilt. When believers lovingly help their enemies, it should bring shame to such people in their hate and animosity. Very different meaning, isn't it? In other words... If I am loving my enemy, it will cause my enemy to stop. To stop and recognize that they're not behaving appropriately. That's what that means. We mentioned this verse Wednesday night, Proverbs 15 15th verse, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Kathy and I, for years, read a proverb chapter every morning. That was our devotional. And I remember reading this verse, and I always have the bent that if somebody is going to get into my face, well, I'm going to get into their face. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I remember reading this proverb, and I'm like, huh. Remember the first time it happened? I thought, I'm going to try the proverb out. Lo and behold, the Bible is correct. It works. (laughs) A soft answer turns away wrath. And as we encounter our enemy, this requires a step of faith on our part, doesn't it? It requires a step of faith on our part. It also is the exact opposite in which you were taught within the world system. For the world system says, you get what is your own. Now, I'm fixing to quote people from both political parties. So don't get your dander up. But I'm going to show you what the world system is about. Through three quotes. 
Let's start with Ed Koch, former mayor of New York. Never known to be a mild-mannered man. You punch me, I punch back. I do not believe it is good for one's self-respect to be a punching bag. In the 2016 race, we have Donald Trump saying that he would like to punch a protester in the face. Nancy Pelosi went on to say that she would like to punch Trump in the face. It's the world system. It's the world system. We've got to recognize that. We have to recognize that we are operating in a system that is different from our own. It doesn't say that we should go hide in the corner. In fact, we're supposed to be the light. But how is one the light? It's not acting like the rest of the world. It's acting different than the world. That's how we're the light. I think the church for too long has forgotten the fact that the Bible describes us as pilgrims and aliens. We're to act different. We're to act different. We're to be different. The world system says if your enemy gets in your face, get right back. But the Bible tells us believers to do something that's very difficult to do. And that is to love our enemies. Not easy. Not going to work out perfectly. You're going to have to rest in the power of God. You're going to have to step out in faith. But what does that do? When you and I step out in faith and say, I'm going to trust the word of God... I'm going to trust the Word of God, and I am going to love my enemy. What does that do? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Sojourners and pilgrims. There we are. We're different. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation." What does that mean? It's extremely important. Because if I'm going to love my enemies, I have to keep this in mind. We're to glorify God in everything that we do, right? That's why God saved us, so that we could glorify Him. We're to glorify God. And as we interact with people, and as we interact with our enemies... We don't know the end result of that person's life, do we? We don't know. As you are interacting with your enemy, you may be interacting with a future brother or sister in Christ. And if we interact appropriately, 
As we love, as we love, when we're not loved, what happens? They, by by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, when they become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, they look back and say, I remember, I remember when this particular person exhibited a love towards me as a believer. I remember their testimony. And it's just not a testimony of words. It's a testimony of action. I remember that they expressed the love of Christ. I remember what they did for me. Isn't that wonderful? That they remember your testimony. Because after all, we should be burdened with people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they're not going to be burdened with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ or recognize who Christ is if we're not living a testimony of who Jesus is. We have to live it. Sometimes we could get self-righteous and say, well, that's easy to say, but these people have wronged me. What have we done to Jesus? What have we done to Jesus? We've wronged him, haven't we? And he graciously accepted us. We're to show the love of Christ to others. We're to love when we don't get love. So that we can stand as a testimony of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you that we stand in love, that we've been loved, but we haven't deserved it. We don't merit it, but you loved us in spite of ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that our life might reflect that love to a lost and dying world. I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen us in such a way that we can love in a way that the world doesn't understand, that we might reflect the power of Christ to others. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone listening this morning that has never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they might accept the wonderful gift that you have to offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.